Welcome to The Business, live from Room 5. Welcome to another episode of Live from Room 5. I'm Ryan Lincoln, Agricultural Service Partner, covering the Suffolk area, and I'm here today with... Chris Salt, Lead Agriculture Partner, mainly covering Norfolk and North Suffolk. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ryan. I suppose one of the questions I was thinking of asking you today, Chris, was when you're looking at agricultural accounts or farming accounts, what are the things that, I don't know, make them more complicated? The main thing is uh, the annual valuation, stock valuation, cut-off of which year things fall into, and the fact that all the produce is live, whether it be crops or livestock. Yeah, very true, Chris. One of the things I find different with agriculture is the tax system. We are talking about partnerships here. Farming can be very cyclical, and you'll have years of high profit, and you'll have years where profits are much lower, and what HM Revenue and Customs allow is the farmers averaging. I wondered if you could give us a bit more of a flavour of what farmers averaging entails, Chris? Happy to, yes. Um, Farmers averaging has been around for a long time, whereby you can average two consecutive years profits or losses. It allows us to even out those peaks and troughs of profit. A couple of years ago, HMRC kindly introduced five-year averaging, which means we can spread... I think a bit more than two years ago, Chris, but... (laughs) But yes, yeah. <laughs> I did say a couple. couple, yeah, of yeah. course. You can spread the profits over five years. Yeah. All well and good, but they are complicated calculations. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Um, it takes into account when you make capital expenditure, when you make pension contributions, other sources of income. Losses. And the, yeah. Losses, and when to allocated. use losses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All good fun. Yeah, it is. Uh, but they've been useful um, from some of my experiences, particularly potato farmers where there has been some alarmingly good profits, but some really, really poor years. Um, And that allows them not to be penalised when the high profits are there because we can average the profits out. And likewise, helps with the cash flow as well as anything. The only downside is retrospective. So if you have high profits, you have to pay some tax before we can use averaging the next year to get your money back. That's a good point. So what types of agriculture do you cover down in the Waveney Valley? Predominantly around the area we're in, it's mainly arable. Typical crops, winter, spring wheat, barley, sometimes oats. I've got a few that are diversified and some do parsley where they've got irrigation. We do have a few dairy farmers, poultry and pigs. So there's quite a diverse range of livestock. There's not as much mixed farms as there has been in the past. Uh, do you notice the same? I have. Um, but have you noticed that's changing? Is there a move towards a more mixed farm basis, traditional farming, as it's so-called, on the back of the change to environmental grants, the movement towards, yeah, the, that, you know, away from direct support? Yeah, removal of the BPS. And the environmental schemes, we're not sure where they're going, but maybe there is a need for more mixed farms. Um, especially if um, fertiliser is going to hit the input prices that it did last year and the year before. Natural fertiliser is a lot cheaper. Fertiliser prices, input costs, energy costs gone through the roof and farming is not as rosy as maybe the general public think it is. Are you feeling the same there, Chris? Absolutely. I mean, the general public moan about inflation at 10%, whereas agflation is in excess of 30%, or has been over the last 12 months. Agflation, I like that word, Chris. <laughs> all the jargon. It's one of the benefits of dealing in agriculture all the time, that we, as specialists, can talk to our clients and understand the jargon. Agriculture is very specialist as far as accounts goes. So you mentioned um, the last two harvests have produced some pretty good margins, despite agflation. What are the prospects for the 23 harvest? 
I think generally most of my farmers think in 23 harvest could produce some good results, but they're a little bit nervous about when they could sow the crop. Certainly all seed rape uh, is causing some of my clients a bit of a problem. I think they're sown so late because of the dry summer. The cabbage stem flea beetle has taken hold and some of the crops have been decimated. And I think some of them will have to probably be taken up and put in a spring crop. So I suppose there's mixed views on the 23 harvest, higher input costs, but still expecting some good results. Mind you, that's dependent on the weather, what the price is going to be, yeah. which is out of their hands, really, yeah. wouldn't you say? I agree, yeah. And so far, the yields look as though they should be good, or seed rape aside, but the prices are heading southwards. And so I can foresee some much lower margins this year. Depends what the sort of Black Sea Corridor produces, whether we can get grain out of Ukraine. And we're always dependent on world markets, aren't we? And what they produce, really. We're only a small, yep. a small proportion of the world's crops that we produce here. And sadly... We have a good year on the back of somebody else's misfortune. That's true. So farms, farmers having difficulties on their farm with weather, when they can get the stuff in the ground, are very dependent on stuff. But I suppose what's happening in Ukraine, how, do, how does that specifically affect the agricultural market, Chris? Well, global conflict is going to affect everyone, particularly for agriculture Energy fuel costs have gone through the roof. A lot of um, fertilizer is produced in Eastern Bloc countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been a, a huge cut in supply, which obviously puts the price up. And so across the board, prices have gone up, hence agflation. You see that starting to slow down a bit? It has eased, it seems, but food prices are still going up in the shops. So something is still amiss in the market somewhere. Um, and uncertainty is the problem. Yeah. No one knows what Putin's going to do next, for instance. So in certain sectors, we might have more farms that deal directly, maybe indirectly, with supermarkets, and just wondered your take on what benefit they really get from that supply to supermarkets. They get a guaranteed market, yeah. but beyond that, they're, like all farmers, they're price takers. They can't determine what price they sell their products at. Yeah. And when, for instance, Arla have just slashed the milk price yeah. again, so they're not the only milk company to do so, but most of our dairy clients deal with Arla, yeah. so yeah. that's where our evidence comes from. And pardon the pun, but you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, but producing eggs and the supermarket and the shelves not having many, they're just not paying enough back to the farmer for their, for their cut of the produce they're making. No, and especially with the increased costs around avian flu, the um, free-range birds have been housed for months, so they've lost. Farmers have lost their free-range status and cut the margins even further. And pigs, we look after a few pig farmers. Meat's not particularly well supported. No, with the pig industry, I mean it's always cyclical, especially pigs. Yeah, but I mean the Chinese market has produced a boon for the local pig industry and increased demand. But the price of feed yeah. being so high for so long, exactly, has pushed yeah. a lot of farms out of pig production. So what we're saying is that um, Clarkson wasn't being overly dramatic when he named his farm Diddley Squat Farm. Have you caught up with the second series of Clarkson's Farm? Absolutely, Chris. Who hasn't seen Clarkson's Farm? I always say to my staff, if you haven't got a glimpse into what farming's like, you should always have a look at Clarkson's Farm. I thought Series 1 was probably better than Series 2, personally. I would agree. And Series 2 a bit more on the red tape. 
Yeah, and planning boundaries and everything. But yeah, good watch. Yeah, and to be fair, I haven't been sent any death threats yet um, during my uh, working career. <laughs> You've escaped well. Then. <laughs> um, but it is. it does highlight um, the need for diversification with the changing uh, grant systems that uh, yes. the industry is facing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Chris. Yeah, it's very challenging times and the removal of subsidies, environmental schemes, public money for public goods. And I think there's, yeah, some changes on the horizon. Certainly some of the smaller farmers may find it difficult to operate and make a margin without the subsidies from the government. Guaranteed. Um, just looking back over the last few years, then the profit margin has often been the basic payment. Yeah, strip that out. The farm makes no money. Are you finding your farmers uh, doing much about it, Chris? Some and some. Um, some have been diversifying for years, but yeah. others are still hoping that the new environmental schemes will be their saviour. Then you've got the exception to the rule, because the last two harvest years have been very lucrative for some farms, and you end up finding that you need to do a bit of tax planning to get round some of the increased taxes. Timing of capital expenditure, for example, I'm sure you deal with your clients on. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, buying new kit for the farm is not cheap. Absolutely. Um, no. um, and getting the timing of it right to maximise the tax benefits is very important. I guess you wouldn't encourage your clients to go spend the money in unnecessarily just to save tax. Why spend 100% to save at most 45%? Indeed, yeah. Well, to summarise, Chris, yeah, I would say, using your word again, ag inflation, milk prices being slashed that we covered, avian flu, Ukraine, crop prices, high feed costs, Subsidies being withdrawn, you know, you could go on and name a few, not to mention you can't control the weather when you can plant things. It's very tough for farmers, and I think there is a misconception that farmers are all wealthy, which clearly isn't the case. And if, what we touched on earlier, if people do not, farmers do not embrace some diversification, there is maybe not going to be a farm there going forward. I don't know if you agree. Absolutely, um, and I see my clients considering all sorts of diversification opportunities, whether it's the traditional tourism type approach of um b&b holiday cottages yeah, or into well, leisure and yeah, that kind of thing is yeah. a it's an easy win isn't it as a kind of yeah. diversified glamping pods putting up lodges you know a camping site and things like this glamping very yeah. trendy word i don't know whether that'll have its day and whether they'll always be here the staycation as we had through covid I, th I think it will remain popular but again we have to remember that a lot of these diversification projects are heavy on the cash yeah. so it needs yeah. a source of funding and needs careful consideration before it started. And this is the kind of thing we can help clients with. This is what we tend to do. We go out on site, we sit down with a client, and we don't just cover the annual accounts. We're always talking about the bigger picture. What's happening next? What's next year's crop looking? What's five years down the line looking like? Where's your succession coming from? You know, and not all farms have the right succession or even the right setup. And there's lots of taxes, you know, in the background there to be considering when you are looking at retirement succession. And obviously bringing the next generation through often triggers the need for further diversification because gone are the days when a farm can support several generations and um, various external employees as well. To bring the new generation in, you might need a new project, whether it be um, a pig unit or a poultry unit 
or whether you go down the um, leisure route for um, diversification. So some of the things we can also help with is the funding for our clients. That can be sitting down with a client to help them prepare some reports or we can do um, our own business plans. Sorry, their business plans. But we can put the plans together for them, take them through the process and deal directly with the bank, which some prefer, some like to get a bit more involved. Um, And it's good that we have good working relationships with the local banks and uh, land agents and solicitors. So it makes that process far easier. Yeah, it does. We touched on earlier a bit regarding the succession, and I just wondered if there's any instances or any life experiences that you could share with us, Chris, good or bad, I suppose. One of the experiences I've had is there's never really a right time. It's very case by case. There could be succession in there, but it might not be the right time to pass on the farming assets or to hand over the the baton, so to speak. Farming families are very unique, although they share the same sort of commonality. It's very different when you speak to each family, how they operate. Some people are still in charge at 90 years old. Some of them more than happy to pass over the reins at 50 years old. And obviously life experiences that challenges can happen throughout their life throws people into the helm earlier than they could expect. Yeah, and farming is as much a lifestyle as it is a business. Yes, yeah. Um, and we've both got clients who are only farmers because that's what dad did and that's what granddad did. Yeah, and almost thrust I, upon them, isn't it? It is, and yeah. I, I just don't think that thought process is as prevalent as it used to be. I think more of the younger generation are saying, no thanks, I'll make my own way in the world away from farming yeah i also think i also think the people who are farming at the moment are almost trying to discourage the children from coming into the farm because they see the difficulties ahead and there seems to be a natural move towards larger farming enterprises the cost of equipment the cost of land itself just the general cost of running a farming business yeah the return on capital invested is not great is it it isn't so i mean the smallholder will be virtually non-existent at some time in the not too distant future sad but true well it's been lovely talking to you chris and you ryan a no percy pig moment brilliant there is not this time no (laughs) we'll keep that for the next episode perhaps Thank you for listening to another episode of Live from Room 5 and I'm sure you'll be hearing from us again soon. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our latest podcast. To download past and future episodes of The Business Live from Room 5, join us online at www.lovewell-blake.co.uk.